The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 103. Captain DeBridge, Spock here. Make yourself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more, and today we're discussing the Enterprise episode, Civilization. And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Uh, folks, if you can, please remember to subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or at the SQPN YouTube channel where you should make sure to hit the bell to get notifications. You do not want to miss a single episode of The Secrets of Star Trek in the future. So this episode, we're talking about the Enterprise episode called Civilization. This is, we're still in the first season of Enterprise. And uh, the basic uh, idea is, this is a prime directive episode, right? I mean, it's basically, we're kind Mm -hmm. of tiptoeing around the idea of whether Starfleet should follow the 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 which seems the Vulcan idea of the Prime Directive, interfering with lesser not lesser Pre-warp less developed civilizations. civilizations, right? And and also we might comment. You know how dis- Star Trek Discovery these days, and to some extent Star Trek Picard have these really high flown ti- episode titles, and here we have one word civilization. <laughs> And it's not even that relevant to the episode. The only no. relevance is they encounter a civilization. That's <laughs> yeah. it. That's true. That's true. You know, in some ways, I kind of, I, I think this is actually maybe a superior episode title than, than some of these Discovery Picard ones. Like the, mm-hmm. the our next Discovery episode, which I think is next week, is in fact, yeah, it is, is this really long thing. It's like, come on, guys, let's let's, <laughs> let's simplify a bit. We don't need a book in the title. Well, was- but yes. It was the thing back when, uh, you know, just Enterprise was done that you kept the titles as short and completely, you know, meaningless as possible. Uh, and now mm-hmm. with Vo- Discovery, they got to be, you know, Art Nouveau and they got to be, you know, have these real fancy titles, you know, well, it's just interesting because they can. Yeah, episode titles are more a thing these days. I mean, Star Trek has always been, I, this is a bit of a tangent, but Star Trek has always had, like, the episode titles for the fans have been big. Oh, Amok Time, that's my favorite episode. Whereas most TV shows, do you remember a single episode title from, say, the A Team? <laughs> you know? I never watched the A Team. <laughs> or I thought or they were Night- like season. I thought their titles were like season one, episode three. <laughs> yeah. Or Knight Rider, or any TV show from the eighties. Probably not. Even the nineties. You know, Seinfeld. I'm not sure had episode titles. They might have. The Friends was always the one where you know, or the one with. Yeah. They kind of had some fun with it. But today, episode titles are really a thing in most TV shows for some reason. Uh, so maybe you know that. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of that in in this. It's it's due to, based on the time in which the things are produced. In any case, <laughs> back to this episode. <laughs> uh, the, the Enterprise. Uh, we we kind of start with this sort of mundane. 
we get a glimpse at the daily life on Enterprise, where they they obviously have a uh, morning briefing, a stand-up morning briefing, by the way, which I think is a great idea. If you're going to have a daily meeting in any uh, work situation, it should be a stand-up meeting around a table, which prevents it from being going too long. Too long. Yeah. Unless you're a Vulcan. Yes, well, well, yes, Vulcans can stand for days. Which we see here, because the one keeping the meeting going is is uh, <laughs> Paul. Right. She's bringing up the irrelevant, low-interest stuff. Do you think she's in on a joke with like Tucker and the others on Archer. It seems that way, but it's hard to know whether that's whether that's meant to be something her character is really doing, or if she's the butt of the joke as she's bringing up the ridiculous "who cares" stuff, and then we're going to spring the really interesting thing. Well, right. Well, then, then of course, there's also the uh, the issue of you know she's she's going to want to distract them away from the you know habitant <clears throat> planet because we don't want starfleet to interfere with this planet and instead let's go look at this you know leftover from a supernova and these you know dead stars instead so they say they have a briefing where to paul is like you said listing all of these boring things and i and i think she doesn't lead with hey we've uh, detected a pre-industrial society because from her point of view yeah, it's not something. It's not more interesting than looking at these uh, natural phenomena because you know protocol says we don't go and interfere with them. So why would why would I bother? Logically, we would look at things that we can go see. Uh, but it, it the the rest of the human crew are all like, yes, this is what we're out here for. We're here to go look at some you know aliens and uh, civilizations. Yes. So they found this Minshara-class planet, and I don't know if this is the first instance we have on the series of the term Minshara-class planet, but it may be. Mm -hmm. And this is the obvious backstory now for the original series' famous Class M planet designation. So they haven't yet shortened it to Class M. Apparently there's a planet out there called Minshara that's very Earth-like. And they also say that they've got 500 million life signs on it, which is a approximately the population of the earth in the 19th century and they say it there's like a whole civilization down there and it's like with 500 million people you think i mean that's like <laughs> us in the 19th century we'd had civilization for about 10,000 years at that point in fact there's probably several civilizations down there yeah <laughs> and it it is a well i, I was going to make a different point but that's okay um uh, they had they did mention Minshara class actually uh, a couple episodes ago I think in okay. the one w- where they went to the uh, the lost colony they mentioned that it was Minshara that, that came up but mm-hmm. yeah they keep bringing it up and we still have not uh, uh, settled on class M as a as an easier acronym uh, so it is a pre industrial society you think uh, with clipper ships that does look a bit like perhaps nineteenth century uh, European well uh, it's, it's kind of interesting because you got the the, the clipper ships and you got like the gas lighting Lamps. and everything. Yeah. But then you also, the dress looked very stereotypical medieval. Right. Well, and there's nothing that says that everything has to advance at the same rate, all the different technologies. So that's, that's, that, that makes sense. In any case, uh, the crew wants to go down. They're all excited to go down, but to Paul, uh, uh, whose designated job is wet blanket <laughs> reminds them <laughs> that Vulcan protocol is only you, you only initiate first contact when a society has reached warp drive, uh, i.e. there's no prime directive in Starfleet yet. Uh, and, and Trip is always the one to point out, well, we're not Vulcans, so that doesn't really apply to us, does it? So 
when I first saw this, I remember thinking, ah, see, they're going to learn a lesson here about interfering with pre-warp civilizations. But that's nope. not really what happens, is it? No, they, not really. <laughs> not, not, not so. In fact, they they do good by by interfering. interfering. <laughs> and so, but they do, you do see them kind of feeling their way towards the prime directive. They do agree to minimize their impact on the society and things like that. So it's not like they flagrantly violated and then it blows up in their face. Yeah. Right. Um, also, yeah. Someone else has. Yeah. Yeah. The species See, in this, this episode are called the Akali. Um, yeah. Hoshi says she detects hundreds or thousands of languages down there, but there's one word you're going to remember, uh, you're going to want to remember, and that's Akali, because that's their name. And uh, just like here on Earth, where the word for human is human in every single Earth language, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's totally familiar. I, what I want to meet is the sister species of the alkali, the acidi, but we don't meet them <laughs> oh. in this episode. <laughs> See, going back to, you know, talking about this episode in the Prime Directive, I thought there's an episode coming up, and it's probably still in this season, where it does blow up in their face. And then, of course, yeah. you know, Archer having to give a you know big epic speech at the end of the episode gives a speech about, someday we will have a directive, a Prime Directive that will, you know, just like. <laughs> Did you have to just slap us over the face with it? I mean, yeah. but I thought this was that that episode. Um, but I, or obviously it wasn't because, you know, of course, she's got, uh, T'Pol's got objections to going down there, but all of a sudden those objectives immediately disappear when, why do they have an antimatter reactor on this planet? Right. 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 So let's kind of deal with some of that. So Archer says in, in this, his excuse is, you know, look, Starfleet could have sent a, an unmanned probe out here to make maps and take pictures. They sent us for a reason. We're here to make contact with people. So that's, you know, that's his reasoning with it. So that's why he moves forward. Uh, yes, the, they have all of these languages, uh, which I have to always put a pin in the whole language translation stuff because it just shouldn't work. It doesn't, like, there's no reason. The lips aren't, you know, even the translators, that, you know, their lips yeah. are, should be noticeably different from what people are hearing. Fine, whatever. I have to, we have to have a TV show, so let's just, you know, put a pin in that and move on. Um, I, I did like this uh, moment when T'Pol is picking out a landing zone for them, and she recommends this remote farm, and, and Archer <laughs> says, this must be why UFOs are always landing at cornfields yeah. <laughs> in, yep. in, in nice. Earth history. <laughs> so there's a couple of moments like that in this episode where we kind of, we're seeing, uh, what if we were the UFOs? What if we were the aliens? There's a nice. There's also a nice bit where they're talking about maybe we should take one of these plague victims up to the ship, and T'Pol is like, actually, wasn't alien abduction a terrifying <laughs> fear of your people for centuries? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just don't mutilate any cows while you're down there. So, yeah. so, uh, so like you said, T'Pol detects, detects neutrino emissions, which could be evidence of an antimatter reactor, and so that changes everything. Archer, Trip, Paul, and Hoshi go together to investigate, uh, fly down in a shuttle, because this is Enterprise, we don't use the transporter much. Archer, oh, and, and, and he yeah. specifically picks Hoshi because he explains that if our translators go out, you're going to be able to handle yourself better as the linguist, better than any of the rest of us. So right. that's clearly setting us up for Hoshi's going to have a notable part later in the episode when a translator fails. 
<laughs> but but no, no. Nope. Hoshi goes down and comes back up after a couple of scenes, and then doesn't appear again in the episode, and has nothing to do, despite the fact this is set up to be a Hoshi episode, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it is very strange. Like she basically, after that first going down and coming back up, she doesn't really do much of anything in this episode. She doesn't have to use her language skills really at all. It's very yeah, it's an odd omission. So uh, Archer and Trip, they they they're the ones who end up finding the reactor. While although Hoshi and T'Pol, they discover some people who are infected or sick with some mm-hmm. sort of illness, which will be you know we'll have to Chekhov's gun. That's going to come yep. up later. And then uh, they they have to break into this curio shop where the reactor is. And <laughs> Archer gets the line seventy eight light years to get here, and our first act is breaking and entering, which I, I thought was a nice little uh, line there. And uh, while they're inside, they find a door with a force field in front of it, which should not be there. And uh, meanwhile, this woman approaches them, and she's holding them at crossbow point, this little tiny crossbow. Which, dainty crossbow. Yes. Dainty, would, dainty fold-up purse-sized crossbow. And it, it, will, it, will, um, it will sting the first guy, but the second guy is going to be on, you know, on top of her <laughs> and disarming her yeah. after she fires the one bolt. So I'm not sure it's a very effective weapon, but uh, she's an apothecary, not a, uh, a ninja or assassin, so... Uh, but she says she's been watching the shop because people have been getting sick. Um, I have to point out a couple. There's a couple times this happens. I think it's uh, a trip who says this reactor is protected by some kind of, kind of. energy field. Yeah. Oh yeah, they, <laughs> some they kind of over has that, returned. They, they hadn't gone over there some kind of addiction yet by this point. <laughs> yes. So. Uh, but uh, they they get out of the situation when T'Pol stuns the woman. The woman's name is Rian, and yes. as you mentioned, she's an apothecary. But the reason she's focused on this shop is she's been seeing mysterious deliveries of crates mm-hmm. to the shop in the middle of the night, and that's what she that's why she was watching it. She's watching for these mysterious crate deliveries, and she's also noticed the outbreak of people. She's got like a map of where the people have gotten sick. Mm-hmm. And they're all in the proximity of this shop. And this is this is actually something that's neat because it's from actual human medical history. In 1854, there was what's known as the Broad Street cholera outbreak in London. And this was one of the key moments in figuring out germ theory of disease as opposed to miasma theory of disease. Because the miasma theory held you got sick from breathing bad air, but mm-hmm. the germ the germ theory was that there's like something like little germs in the water that can get you sick. And the, one of the ways they showed it was when a particular set of water companies in London, one of them was like pulling polluted water directly from the Thames and the other was using other less polluted sources. And so they used this mapping function to say which households have the people with cholera, what water supply are they on? And they were able to pin this down. And she's doing essentially the same thing here by mapping who's getting sick and noticing what's at the center of that and what weird activity is going on in that area. So I was really impressed by this. This is something that actually has a parallel in our own history. I was thinking as I watched this, between you know trying to find out the mystery behind the, the, these uh, mysterious illnesses and aliens and abductions, I think Rian should start a podcast afterward called Rian's Mysterious World. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she, she could <laughs> explore <not>? these. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so uh, Archer takes her back to her apothecary shop and tells her that he's an investigator from another city named John, 
Uh, and she says, how far away is this other city? Obviously, John is a, not really an, a name that she's familiar with. Um, and yeah, this is when uh, Trip suggests bringing one of the sick people up to the ship. And we'd say this is where <laughs> alien abductions come in. Uh, and they, Trip and Archer then go to the shop, this curio shop, and confront the in shopkeeper. The in, in the day, yes. And they confront the shopkeeper. And whose DNA shows he's not from this planet, and he gets out his tr- version of a tricorder and says, neither are you. And uh, he claims to have been part of a survey team, and he was so taken with the planet, he decided to stay there. Mm-hmm. And that his reactor is just powers a replicator that provides food and, and, and other items for him. Uh, but Tripp says the reactor is ridiculously overpowered for that purpose. I, I like, so this guy's name is Garros, and I like how calm he is when mm-hmm. they yeah. out him privately as an alien and it's like oh you are too and he's he comes across as mr reasonable i mean he's yeah. we know from various cues they send us that he's you know this guy is going to be the villain <laughs> unless they subvert expectations which they don't right but he still comes across I mean, as this plausible guy he's a reasonable guy he's got a reasonable sounding story at least when you first hear it and and I like that. I like that he's not just mustache twirling from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and so Garrus also dismisses Rian's concerns as, you know, for the disease, saying, oh, it's just because I was new here when the, and that's when the disease stuck, struck. You know, this is pre-industrial. These diseases come up all the time, and I'm just a convenient excuse. So um, it was, Rian says, it was some kind of airborne contagion. Uh, that's that's what. <laughs> other way, some kind of. Uh, Although it's not, it's actually waterborne, just like the yep. cholera in 1854. Exactly, as we'll find out. Mm-hmm. So, Tapal and Archer are back in the apothecary shop with Rian, and while Archer is chatting her up, uh, Tapal is surreptitiously examining Rian's experiments and her notes and all her other things that she's going to then take back up to the ship and discover talk about with flocks. And- I, I I love how clumsy uh to paul is in her investigation of everything in rian's lab i mean it's obvious she's going around doing stuff rian has to notice this <laughs> yeah even to the point of dipping a it would look a like paper a litmus yeah. paper yeah to take a sample of 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 rian's samples uh and which is where she and flocks discover that the sickness is caused by a contamination of the water supply by a toxic industrial lubricant Tetracyanate six twenty two. Yes, which sounds really bad because it has cyanate in it. And, yeah. yeah, and, and tetra—that means and, it's got to be four of something. <laughs> that's right. And we <laughs> that's all know that. This is scarier than monocyanate. It's four <laughs> yeah. times as scary. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's chemicals. So Archer and uh, Rianne then go and surveil the shop at night to uh, to, to see the, the about the pickups or deliveries that are going on. Uh, and when they're talking, the translator stops working. So to cover it up, Archer kisses her while he's trying to fix the communicator. And then, oh, I just did it to, you know, hide. Someone was coming. And and I'm like, wow, like today, this would be really, this would not fly in today's, you know, TV making. Well, uh, they've been ha- hinting at him and her having a romance. Uh, what strikes me is how understated it is compared to Captain Kirk. <laughs> um, I mean, this is this is the much more restrained, civilized '80s or '90s, I guess, compared to the wild '60s of television. <laughs> right. Yeah. But but this is this is the setup 
for this is the payoff for the setup of what if one of our translators goes out. Yep. And so instead of having so Hoshi can't be here to help out in this situation because she's already been abducted from the plot and we're only halfway <laughs> through, she does not appear later in this episode. So Hoshi is just irrelevant to this episode mm. after that first couple of scenes. And so you have to tap the communicator a couple of times to get it to work right, apparently. <laughs> so I'm not, sure, I'm not sure what he's, he's doing, but he's just got to reboot it. it. Yeah, yeah. he's reboot. Uh, you know, force quit the app and then restart it. I, I, I completely understand. <laughs> so they end up following this guy who took some boxes from the shop in, in the, you know, in the dead of night. And he takes them out into the countryside. And as they're about to examine them, the, a light from above appears and then they float up into the air, which is classic, like, alien abduction imagery which, which i, I, I like that was kind of funny I, I, I like that i thought that was that was kind of a a good touch because obviously you could see the tractor beam and everything but it's just you know that how many stories yeah. are there of you know cows floating in the air because <laughs> the aliens are are tractor yeah. beaming them up exactly it's very x-files in, in, in the 19th century the equivalent during the great airship mystery of the 1890s was one using a, a basically a lasso to to grab a cow and haul it up nice. <laughs> so. Uh, but the the, the uh, Malorian, the the colleague of Garros, uh, has seen them and shoots at them with his phaser pistol of some sort. Archer goes after him, and there's a big you know fist to cuff battle, and uh, uh, and Archer gets the best of him, and the Malorian's mask is torn. It turns out he's a lizard alien. So now we have lizard Reptilians. alien co- <laughs> reptilian uh, conspiracy theory brought into this as well. All of the great. Uh, oh. conspiracy theories. <laughs> well, it's clear that the, these Malorians are the aliens from the series V. <laughs> exactly. <Yes. laughs> That's right. That's right. It, it did look surprisingly like those those aliens. Um, and so this is where Archer has to explain, yes, I'm an alien too, and I'm not really, you know, but I'm, I'm not a lizard d- dude, so don't worry about it. He doesn't but actually I, say I, that. I, I'm the good romantic kind of alien that it's okay to kiss. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I'm not some crazy uh, lizard. So they uh, they go back to the curio shop and they they manage they've taken the the uh, Malorian's equipment which apparently includes a, a key that Archer knows how to operate somehow and they find the alien equipment uh, including the reactor and there's a whole mining facility down there and it turns out the Malorians are mining the planet for some compound used in making explosives uh, so at least to their credit they didn't just show up. And, you know, take over this this uh, planet of pre-warp people who probably could not have withstood an alien invasion. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is this is like if 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 colonial powers went into colonized powers and didn't colonize them. Yeah. They just kind of uh, secretly took the things they needed they they wanted from them without letting them know. Now, it still would be bad. I mean, this these resources do belong to the Akali, this their planet. But, you know, it could be worse. Now, they should have. Well, because like, you know, if you back up a bit and say, well, what if they didn't cause this disease and infection and ailment? Would it be so bad? I mean, would it? Yeah. I mean, the, these people have no use for whatever it is they're mining out of there. Right. I mean, in the future, they might in some, some you know, in a yeah. couple centuries, but not now they don't. Of course, there's, there's, there's the question, though, of uh, assuming this, this mineral exists in the entire planet, why exactly did they set up in the middle of a city? Well, that's one of the logic-based questions one would ideally want answered. Um, also, why don't you just get this from an asteroid? 
<laughs> I mean, any anytime, anything you can find on a planet, you can find on an asteroid, and it'll be easier probably to get it than hide from the native civilization well, and get it. Especially right. since they're only hauling it out like three crates every like two or three <laughs> days. So that's really not a lot of the material they're actually getting out of the ground either. That is, yeah, that is a lot of work to get a very, that must be some very expensive material, very difficult to, to find. Um, so it, what, what, in any case, uh, Archer needs to lower this dampening field, the shielding around the curio shop in order to so, transport out the reactor, which yes. is what is, that's how they're going to shut down the mining operation. Um, my first thought was shut down the reactor. You know, if right. you want to get rid of the mining operation, it's, oh, that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to transport it. Okay, great, for once. But they then they have to bring down the mm-hmm. dampening field that's keeping them from scanning the shop. And they have this blue or yellow button dilemma. <laughs> right. Where they one, one button, they don't know what it does. They figure either the blue or the yellow button will take down the dampening field and they can beam out the reactor. But they don't know which one it is. And, and of course, since Rian and Archer are there having their sort of romantic adventure together, you know the woman's going to be right. Yeah, Because right. that's the way this works. Well, and it's, it's an interesting that, that they have to uh, kind of muddle their way through these cultural assumptions about how, how another culture, how another civilization would label things and right. indicate things on a screen, which is, I think... One of the things that Enterprise does better than some of the other Star Trek episodes, which is, you know, we can't just assume we understand alien control panels as quickly. Now, of course, we still have a 45-minute episode, so they have to go through things very quickly. But you're right. She does defer to him, uh, probably because of his advanced technological background as an alien. But uh, he chooses... It's it's like, how many control panels have have you interacted with before? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But as they say in uh, Indiana Jones, he chooses poorly. <laughs> so <laughs> that it turns, it sets off the alarm and uh, and it locks them down inside. And now they have to figure out how to get out of this situation. And it summons a weapons platform ship from the other side of the planet that Enterprise couldn't see because it was in a geostationary orbit. Yes, it, it never gets better with this because this this happens to Kirk. In Wrath of Khan, <laughs> with, where, where Khan was on the other side of the planet and they couldn't detect him. I mean, it's just every time. So I, The first thing you do when you move into orbit is you send out the auxiliary drone satellite so you have complete mapping of the battle space. Exactly. Uh, so uh, Garrus now contacts Enterprise, and as his ship approaches, he tells Enterprise that Archer's dead, and so they should just leave, and then they fire a warning shot at Enterprise. Yeah, uh, it's like, dude... What culture are you from that telling them their leader, <laughs> falsely telling them their leader is dead, is an advantageous strategy? Yeah, there's no reason to stay. <laughs> you should go. Uh, it's like, isn't this going to like prompt an inquiry or something? Well, and then he does the opposite to to Archer. He says, uh, uh, you know, he talks to Archer. He says, I, I told the Enterprise to send a shuttle to pick you up, so you should come out now. <laughs> it's like, oh, sure, of course, yeah, no problem. Like. Why is he lying like at this point? Why isn't he just opening the door and coming in and taking him? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. This is this is a really weak spot in the writing where Garros's logic is not at all clear and, and he seems to be at cross purposes with himself. And this is I mean I, I the the thing about telling him that he's dead is to set up the the uh conflict between T'Pol and Tucker. I mean right. that's literally all it is. It, yeah. And so, that's also another weak point, I think, in the series at this point, which is Tucker commits mutiny. 
It, yeah. <laughs> he should be thrown yeah. in the brig because yeah. Paul is in command. And it's like she says to 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 uh, Ensign Helmsman, um, um, Merriweather. Never, Merriweather. Merriweather. Can never remember his name. Oh, yeah. Merriweather, <laughs> prepare to leave orbit. She's done, she didn't order him to leave orbit. She said, prepare to leave orbit. And Tucker belays the order. And Belay then, that order. I know. Yeah. yeah. And then when she say, she overrules him, he contacts the engineering, tells him to get ready to vent the nacelles. They're in a battle situation, and he's about to cripple the Enterprise yeah. out of some sort of peak. Actually, I didn't take it that way. I thought he was planning a strategy move to deal with the aliens, and the venting of the nacelles had something to do with that. Because they don't say we'll be crippled if we vent those nacelles. Well, in other episodes, when, they, when they've talked about venting nacelles, it meant that they could not warp. They couldn't go to warp. Uh, they, hmm. You're venting the, the, the warp plasma. He's basically trying to stop T'Pol from taking the ship out of orbit okay. and abandoning the captain. And that was right. his, his way of doing it. It's basically like saying, you know, turn off the engine on a car. Or right. you think okay. you're going to leave, well, oh, I'm going to turn off the engine, take the keys. Now you now try. That's even worse then, yeah. but they did, that did not come across clearly. I took it as some kind of stratagem. Oh, okay. That yeah, he was no. proposing an alternative stratagem no, to was, what to just leaving. No, he, he was, was just a muting. temper tantrum. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the things I dislike about what they've done with Tucker in this first season is is he's so uh, like suspicious of and it's fine for him to be suspicious of T'Pol and the Vulcans, but it, sometimes they just go too far and it's like this should never like there should be consequences for for this. And they've done that in other episodes, but in this one just over the top. Yeah, uh, at a minimum he's this is rank insubordination if not mutiny. Right. Uh, so uh, the uh, the the they find out they go to shoot back at the uh, the alien the the Malorian ship, uh, but it's got some kind of energy shielding. Sorry, <laughs> I just got to keep pointing it out because I had to be, amuse myself while I was watching this. Uh, oh, so by the way, T'Pol also says she has no intention of leaving. Yes. So right. why did you order Ensign Mayweather to prepare to leave if you have no intention of doing that thing? I I, I, I I tried to rationalize it as maybe the reptiloid aliens can sense them preparing to leave and will think they're complying until they right. don't, but they didn't explain any of that. No. Yes, that's true. That's true. Yeah. It, like, come, it, it come, came across as just something. It's like she's really going to leave, and that sets up the conflict with Trip. Right. There was no like sense of there was a stratagem that she was planning for. It just gets kind of left there. You're right. That's true. So uh, they're going to, they come up with, they're going to, once Archer uh, gets the shielding down, they're going to beam up the, the reactor, and this is actually kind of a neat bit of strategy. They're going to beam it up, but I'll beam it in front of the Malorian ship and then shoot it and blow it up, and that will be enough to disable the Malorian ship and they can then get away. So, and that's what they do. They beam it up mm -hmm. and blow it up in front of the Malorians. Uh, but that's not the end of things, because Archer and Rianne get in a phaser battle on a city street with Garrus and his guys. Um, and, and, and we have this cut from their cowering in the basement with the antimatter reactor to now they're just walking down a street together, vaguely, hurriedly, yes. to maybe, yeah. to and hoping not to be noticed. Right, right. Uh, I, I'm not sure why Garrus didn't have his guys surrounding the shop <laughs> to... To make sure they couldn't get away, but uh, uh, whatever. Well, how, uh, how about how about just like being there at the door? So as soon as it opened, he was ready to come in. <laughs> exactly. So uh, Rianne comes up with the idea. She says, "Hey, you know the, that oil lamp above them is full of oil. 
if you shoot it with something hot, it could explode and knock them out, which which is, again, she saves the day uh, with her superior knowledge of tactics. And uh, and they, <laughs> they knock out Garrus. Um, and, you know, the whole thing ends with, you know, uh, a finger wagging at the Malorians. Make sure you leave and don't come back. Um, but and we're told the Vulcans will look in on the Akali from time to time to make sure that the Malorians keep their promise. But I'm like, seriously? I mean, that's it? I mean, I'm not sure what else they can do because the Malorians are technologically superior to Enterprise. So I'm not sure they can force them to do something different, but that's kind of the way it is, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I, and and that actually would have been nice if they had explored it a little more. Yeah. Because it's like, this is the reality of frontier space. Right. We can arrange for someone maybe to come and visit you, but yeah. I'd suggest you get on warp drive really fast. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, that would that would be an interesting uh, aspect of it is, is giving they, they, them the ability to defend themselves. They they did mention um, that they had knocked out all the, the weapons. So you, presuming, of course, you don't see it on screen, but as soon as the shields are knocked down, then they start just blasting at all the hard points of the weapons right. on the ship. But they'd go away, fix their ship, come back. I mean, I just like, yeah. I, I, it's just, it's a hole, it's a hole in the, in the writing. That's all. It's just, you yeah. know, illogical. But hole. we, we can't be distracted by such things because we've got to get to the final kiss of this episode. <laughs> Captain's got to get the girl. Yes. The Archer Kirk rule, which is that, so at the end, he has to say goodbye to, to, uh, to Rian and, you know, uh, there's no hint that he's ever going to come back, you know, but, uh, there's just this. You know. There's also no hint that it ever went farther than kissing. Right. Because the first time he only kisses her, theoretically, to cover the communicator glitch, and she brings it up the second time. So apparently they, like, is your communicator going to malfunction again or something? And <laughs> and so they apparently have not kissed since. So this has not gone to Kirk-level extent. This is true. This is true. Yes. So one of the things I should mention about this episode uh the sort of behind the scenes is this was filming uh, during the events of 9-11, 2001. Hmm. And the, the, the creators of the show, the people behind the show have said that, you know, there's a, there's a moment in the filming where you could see a change in the demeanor of the actors because they, you know, the, this part of it was before the attack and this part was after. And then there's this, this, as he sees it, I mean, maybe as viewers, we don't see it, but, as uh, someone who was there, he sees it. He can see sort of, as he says, the light goes out in their eyes as during the, you know, from, from one scene to the other. There's not as much energy in it from, from the actors because how they feel about what's, what had happened in, in the terrorist attack. So I thought that was an interesting little backstory. I didn't notice it as watching it, but, you know, it's, it's interesting to see. Also, the way that they produced television today they don't produce an episode in in sequential order they right. they from the beginning of the plot to the end of the plot they skip around in the plot based on what sets they need to use right. so that mm-hmm. light in their eyes may actually come and go throughout the episode making it right. harder to discern right right in fact uh sometimes in some shows they film multiple different shows at once you know episodes right. at once so that would be interesting so um any other uh Thing you want to add to it, Father Corey? Anything left on the on this one? Nope, nothing here. Jimmy, it was there. It wasn't horrible. <laughs> it, I mean, it, it, this was less painful than the breaking the ice episode, but it also <laughs> was just kind of there, and you know, yeah. it was fine. But it, was it okay. wasn't anything to write home about. Oh, one small Easter egg in this one: the Malorians as a race. 
they, there's a bit of an in-joke from the original series, the Changeling. Uh, remember Nomad, the probe? That was one of the species wiped out by Nomad. So <laughs> apparently these oh. guys probably don't come back to terrorize the Akali because <laughs> Nomad digs them out. So, maybe, maybe that's what they were wanting the explosives for, and maybe Archer has doomed their civilization now. Oh, it could be. That'd be interesting. Uh-oh. Anyway. All right. I think that, that should do it for this episode. Uh, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Derek F., James B., Matthew D., Evan S., and Marika D. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest, you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week and takes out all of my flubs. <laughs> right? <laughs> right, Victor? Right? All right. So that's it from us. What did you think of this Enterprise episode called Civilization? Uh, we'd love to hear from you at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media or via email, trek at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing another long-named Star Trek Discovery episode, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thanks, Tom, and live long and prosper. Father Cory Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest, and remember... If I don't have what you're looking for, I'm certain I can find someone who does.